Hello, welcome to Fave This, a podcast about fandom and internet culture. I am joined by my ho- co-host, Patricia Hernandez. Hey, Gita, how's it going? It is going. It is going. I've uh, <laughs> heard that you've spent some time making some babes in uh, a game called Honey Select. Yeah, I mean, who would have known that the internet loves porn? <laughs> so what? what is Honey Select for people who didn't read? The, what was the title of your oh post, God, which I think is probably our good... best headline of 2018 so Yeah, far? it's a contender for sure. It was, I... I tried the game with the ultimate character creator, and now I need Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you need to know? But Okay, so this is, it's technically a sex game, but the demo is just the character creator, right? Well, you can have one kind of sexual, like, scene. You can make out, get a blowjob, and have mm. sex in the missionary position only, which is really funny to me. It's like in the demo for sex, it's only missionary. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also only come inside her, which is like really weird and gross. Because um, Anyway, I won't get into the nitty-gritty details of that part. <laughs> but what people like about this game is it's got a very robust character creator. Um, and I spent some time with it, and I it was interesting. What was really interesting is figuring out what kinds of characters it was good and bad at making. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what was it good at making, for example? Uh, do you want to have any kind of breast in the world? Like, it can make so many different kinds of breasts, like, with so much sort of fidelity, things that I hadn't even thought A of. Lovingly created breasts. Yeah, they're, like, handcrafted artisanal <laughs> titties, you know? Like, it was, you know, you can make the areolas puffy or not and, like, change the texture of the nipples and stuff technology yeah you can give them like what was really cool is you can give them like a a certain amount of weight so that they would change the physics of their the breasts a little bit and also they would sort of hang lower so that you could see the center of gravity on each breast was like different the only thing i didn't like is that you couldn't make them asymmetrical which is most people's breasts are asymmetrical right 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 um but that was really cool what you can't or it was much difficult to do is you can't make a girl with a big fat ass so you had what was it that <laughs> Tim said about this that you that you shared with me before? <laughs> oh God, was it the ultimate character creator? I thought that was Tetsu Nomura. <laughs> oh God. So it's just you're saying that people could have spent like hours making breasts. Just yeah, absolutely. a long time. All the people I know that have played around with it spent like one or two hours making the characters they made. Um, and it really is like body part by body part that you're manipulating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can do some cool, there's some cool things about it. You can make a really buff lady. You can make uh, a woman so that's wait, like. So wait, is this mostly body parts? Is it uh, like, how many options are there for like the face? Okay. Like so traditional about, character creator. You know, 20-ish sliders for the face. You can manipulate the eyes, nose, jaw, you know, not the mouth for some reason. Mm-hmm. Well, you can manipulate the mouth a little bit. You can make the lips bigger or smaller, but the general mouth shapes stays the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all pretty in-depth. Uh, and then for the body, there's another dozen sliders or so. Um, there's the most amount of sliders, I think, correspond specifically to the breasts. Mm-hmm. But So when you told me this, 
obviously there are a lot of things that stand out about, <laughs> about what this is. And you wrote a little bit about uh, what it can make, what it can't make. Uh, but another thing that stood out to me is just kind of seeing who was playing it. Because uh, it was surprisingly, because you kind of expect, you hear anime porn game and you think, well, there's a certain type of, I don't know, basement dwelling whatever yeah. who plays this pervert like the but, simpsons like comic book nerd guys the image that it evokes you know yeah but i was seeing a lot of women playing it and yeah. i was seeing a lot of like quote-unquote like progressive people playing it and so i wanted to talk to you about like what do you think is the appeal of character creators because i don't think it's specific to this you look at that one mmo which name i'm forgetting right now but it Black had this desert ex- online yes yeah and that had a like a really incredible uh, character creator. Like I know absolutely nothing about what the game is, but I've just seen so many people make all these different characters in it. And then obviously there are the more like, you know, people always talk about like the Bethesda character creator, which is always mm-hmm. garbage, and like the it's always really bad. Yeah, it's or the Mass Effect uh, character creator where you can't make your characters look like what they look like when you build them in the actual games. But it's like, there's always a lot of focus in like, how do we recreate these characters? How do we make what we want to see? And I I was curious if you had any thoughts as to like why people are obsessed with character creators. The porn game specifically, I feel like I see a lot of queer women playing this game. um, A lot of like out lesbians. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that there's, like, not a lot of porn for lesbians specifically. A lot of lesbian porn is also for straight men to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so you always – I mean, what I found was, like, I was making a girl that I thought was cute, basically. <laughs> and I, I was thinking, like, I had never really even sat down and thought about, like, what, you know, what kind of musculature on a girl's arms do I think is, like, really cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really nice and refreshing to be able to make that. But, you know – Beyond porn into just like standard games, a lot of it does have to do with women in games, queer people in games aren't getting the content pre-made for them. Uh, I remember I have a friend who was doing QA on Bioshock Infinite and she told me that um, apparently there was like a long internal discussion about whether or not Booker DeWitt should be hot. And like all the women in QA were like, no, he make him hot. Like he's voiced by Troy Baker. Uh-huh. Make him hot. Like <laughs> we know that you're never going to see the character, but like. Just make him a hot guy. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it doesn't really matter too, too much, but mm-hmm. it is, it does feel nice to feel pandered to. Mm-hmm. And it happens so infrequently in games that whenever I see a, a good ass character creator, I'm always like, I'm going to make the hottest guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the, a guy that I specifically think is hot because I'll never see him think, see him in video right, games. Right. Cause you, I mean, you can make the argument that a lot of the guys in games are hot, but in kind of like that generic yeah. action here. Like, you know, have you seen that image of, uh, all the Chris's in Hollywood, yes, and they all just, just kind of say <laughs> yeah. they all kind of look exactly alike. And so, the, I, what it sounds like you're saying is that this gives people room to kind of make what game companies themselves won't actually make, or they're giving them. Yeah. I guess they're making it in the sense that they're giving them the option, but like they wouldn't put that in the in the marketing material as like the yeah. You wouldn't whatever. see like I keep keep remembering like Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes was the that big was heart- not yeah. where I thought you were. <laughs> Okay. okay. He was like a big heartthrob like amongst my high school friends mm-hmm. and the sort of image of male attractiveness that was being sold to us at the time was not at all that. It was, you know, like like all the Chris's in Hollywood basically. Mm-hmm. I still don't know which Chris Chris Pine is. <laughs> like I feel like he's the one that dated 
what's her name from Attack the Show, who was also in the next one movie. Anyway, Psylocke. She was Psylocke. But <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they dated. I think I think that's that, Chris. Okay. Um, but anyway, but like there is something that we saw that wasn't being acknowledged about like our own sexuality, which is that we were not really attracted to these really buff guys. We were way more attracted to this really sensitive scarecrow looking ass man. Who's <laughs> <laughs> like really Why, like I if, don't know. If we have any developers listening, now you know you need to make more scarecrow men. You need to make more fishmen, as evidenced by the yes. Oscar winning uh, Fishmen with nice asses, because like they spend so long sculpting the butt on that suit. Guillermo del Toro. He's re- talked about it in um, interviews repeatedly. And it's not just that. You look at the way that people talk about Thane in yep. in uh, Mass Effect. I think there's a reason for that. Like, it's n- I don't know how I would judge attractiveness when it comes to like a reptile yeah. looking thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think it but, has to do a little bit with um, there's that. Like, I don't know why people believe this, but people always. I've heard this said more than once that women are more less attracted to the physical and more attracted to the emotional. Mm-hmm. And that's not entirely true. But I mean, I've had like plenty of meaningless sex with hot guys in my life. Um, but if I'm going to like enter into an emotional like romance in a story with someone, I want there to be some kind of personality, like mm-hmm. a sexy voice can't mm-hmm. hurt. Like apparently I haven't played Mass Effect, but Thane's like romance story is really like it's melodramatic intense. and intense. Yeah, and like yeah, that's yeah. what is appealing like that is what sexy is mm-hmm. in that scenario. And yeah, and it's I think it's probably more important for games to nail that because there are so many limits in what they can produce like in terms of like actual erotic stuff. Yeah. A because you know the age rating stuff like you can only go so far before suddenly it's AO and like B the technology of like making humans look like they're actually interacting with each other is like shockingly hard yeah uh you get a lot of games where like people are kissing each other uh, each other quote unquote but it doesn't really look like humans are yeah it doesn't it doesn't look right are just really close like that's what it looks like it looks like their heads are just really close or like ken a ken and barbie like mashed together it doesn't look like they're interacting with each other or even touching each other it looks like they're uh really close to touching each other but Mm -hmm. not it's um i mean i think what makes a lot of the Dragon Age sex scenes, I just got to the sex scene with Colin in mm-hmm. my playthrough. It's really good. But what makes it good is that it, you know, it does the lead up and then there's a cutaway. He like shoves all the shit off his desk and they're going to bone on the desk. The super hot idea, you know, and then it cuts It's not away. the war table, is it? No, it's not the war table. <laughs> I feel like that would be too much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like months of painstaking work and then you just lose it. And then you have to explain that to your team. Yeah, <laughs> you find one of those little markers in the back of your dress. And you're like, I don't know how that got there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you, um, and then it cuts through a window. So you see them making out, but like vaguely. And then it cuts to the next morning where you're in, in a bed and he is naked in your clothes, but you're sitting conveniently in front of his dick so that the camera never sees it. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that gives enough sort of suggestion of like hot, like spontaneous sex activity without actually animating any mm-hmm. of it. And a lot of, you know, the I think the most lovingly detailed shot in that scene 
is the one where he's shoving everything off of the desk because they animate everything falling off of the desk. And you can tell like a lot of time put, went, went mm-hmm. into that. Mm-hmm. And it's more about getting excited about the idea of, oh, holy shit, this guy I thought was so buttoned up is going to fuck me right on this desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like Bioware had a lot of fun with the scenes in that game because there was a, I don't know if you've seen all of them, but uh, there's the one with, well, you've probably seen the one with Iron Bro because yeah, you really keep, good. yeah, where it's just, they don't show them sleeping with each other, but they show people continually going into the room and yep. accidentally like seeing them and yep. it's just like their shock and, and laughter and it's like, well, that feels very authentic even though you don't necessarily see them yeah boning yeah and, uh, it gives like a context to the sort of nature of the relationship where like they the inquisitor and iron bull spend a lot of time together naked and they've been keeping it a secret but now you know somehow i like i feel like that would be hard to keep he's a, such a large man to keep a secret uh, also he just won't stop talking about it he loves to fuck he <laughs> loves talking about fucking and he loves to fuck um man freddie prince jr had a really good time in that game. Every time you hear him say a voice line, you can tell how happy he is to be this giant horny man. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it makes it, it, it integrates it into the world of the fiction where other characters can see this and interact with it and have their own opinions about what's happening here. Um, and it's implied they are uh, shocked and overwhelmed by the size of Iron Bull's dick, which... Yeah, sure. see, I mean, even that in and of itself, you look at earlier Bioware sex scenes and, like, they were so detached from the rest of the game, like Mass Effect. And I think also Dragon Age Origins, you slept with a character right before the, like, big battle. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, not all of them, but I think most of the time. So then there was no real time for anyone to react to it. There was no real time for that relationship to keep developing because that was, like, the end point. Uh, but now it's, like... You know, you can sleep with someone like near the start of the game and then other people react to it and it changes your relationship. Some people get mad. Some people are like kind of laugh about it. And and something that I appreciated in Andromeda is also that the characters just pair off. Like if you don't if you don't uh, get involved with them, they'll do their own thing. You'll you'll hear about it. And it's just like, oh, they have an actual life. Yeah. I just wish it went even further. Um well, I don't know how this would be handled even further that, like, if these two are dating, that irreparably, like, damages the relationship with this person who no longer wants to be on the team. And, yeah. like, I wish there were more just You wish there was more stakes. drama. Yeah. You know, yeah. drama in space and or theater. because well, you, you got to think about it. Like, I was re-watching an episode of The Office where it's, like these two characters uh, sleep with each other and like the entire office is fucking talking about it and like some people are mad and some people are just like kind of like jeering and like but everyone mm-hmm. everyone's talking about it right? everyone has right. a reaction to it because right. they are all working together yeah and like you know they they come to the same space every day and those politics are important yeah it makes me remember that there's a line in the second episode of gospel girl the greatest television show of all time <laughs> um, we should have an episode we should have an episode about gossip we girl. 100 should but christian bell the the narrator is um I didn't know Kristen Bell was the narrator. Yeah, she's the narrator. And Holy once, sh- once you hear that, you can't unhear it. But she's you know she makes what? a cameo in like the one of the uh, the last episodes of the series. Um Kristen Bell, the narrator. I'm just she's, imagining she's narrating it from the bad place. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of her karmic punishments is to narrate Gossip Girl. Oh my god, that she has to watch these teenagers' lives unfold. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man. 
She would hate that. And uh, she can't be negative about it. No, she has to. Okay, the line that she says in this episode, which is, uh, I'm just so proud that it aired on television, is, is it going to be a three-way or D-Day? <laughs> you know, it's just the corniest lines, but I you know. kind of got to love it. I don't know. I just, like, I, I want video games to give that kind of emphasis to whether or not someone's going to have sex. Is, are they going to fuck or is it going to be like World War II? <laughs> And you just basically, I feel like so many games would be improved with like kind of like teenage level drama. Because like yeah, you, you get older and like that stuff doesn't go away. It just takes on different forms. Yes. Like people are still petty as shit and like ridiculous and absurd. My mom told me that like all of life is like high school and I'm sorry to report that she is very correct. <laughs> and like I, you get better with dealing with it though. All those, those kinds of things still crop up. Like I've had like living situations where whether or not someone did the dishes suddenly became the most infuriating and, like, dramatic thing in the entire world. Well, it's world. kind of like, uh, do you watch the reality TV show on Netflix? It's, like, from Japan. And it's oh, like, Terrace House. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I haven't watched it, but I keep hearing about the meat incident or something. Have you? I wa- haven't seen the meat incident, but, like, the thing about but Terrace House... But it seems similarly, like, mundane, yeah. right? Like, yeah, like, the thing about Terrace House is that it's entirely mundane. Like, people come to this house just to, like live and like they keep all of their old jobs they don't do the real wor- world thing where they just like make oh, them stay that. in the house like they keep their old jobs and um they come in to hang out and they're not all specifically there to find love but some of them are uh and they what just kind of the purpose do for the people shit. who don't they just want to be on a reality tv show yeah basically to make them famous or like what i don't know it just is a pleasant time. It's just like a nice time. <laughs> I guess they live they... in like a baller house. Yeah, I was like, about to say, you know, do they not have to pay rent? Yeah, I guess, yeah. Like one one time they went to Hawaii and lived there, and like other times it's been they've always had really nice houses with terraces, and that they have you know one of them had an indoor like a pool, which is really chill. So it just seems like hey, you know, why not live in a really nice house for a couple of months or so? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And people can drop in and come out at any time too. I didn't know that either. Can you? So you can leave and then just come back? Like you're not out, out. You can't. Can I don't you not know get if that's kicked true. out? I don't know. I don't think peep anyone ever has been kicked out. I mm-hmm. think people elect to leave, and then other people will new people will come in to oh, replace okay. them, um, which is I think pretty cool. You can just be like, eh, I'm not feeling it. Want to go home? Or mm-hmm. I gotta go back to my like actual life now. Sorry. They didn't um, take the trash out this week. I'm done. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> God, I. My reality show weapon of choice has always been America's Next Top Model, which is. Did you see Tara Banks' tweet last night? Oh my god! Uh, Adam Ribbon was uh, she was like, but fashion, but make it fashion. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That I we we me and my roommate was watched that episode of the show recently. Um, Adam Ribbon was wearing this fucking incredible like leather holster to the Oscars, which was so good. Adam Ribbon has captured my heart. He's perfect. What do you think he's going to go on to do next? I guess he can probably be on anything now. He, like, everyone knows who he is. Yeah, so. he's probably not going to the Olympics again. He no, no. He's, yeah, that, so, that was like, his last. That was his last one. He got a medal, so, like, he's happy. We're going to see him on American t- uh, America's Top Model or, I'm like, sure. American Idol or some, some yeah. like. No, he's going to have, he would be perfect for television, so I'm sure that he's got some kind of offer lined up for some kind of reality show, which I would absolutely watch. Mm-hmm. Let's, let like, get a camera crew to follow him around. <laughs> He's just like, I saw a tweet 
from him the other day that was like during a photo shoot and he's like in his like skating outfit and he's doing this like very very like intense pose and the caption he put on it was while you were being heterosexual i studied the blade (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) he's really good you know i was i'm sorry that we just keep jumping from topic to topic whatever this is our podcast yeah uh did you follow the thing about the the two ice skaters who basically like fuck on the ice, but like oh my god, yes. fuck on the ice, and yeah, people yeah. are like trying to figure out if they actually suck yep. with the and that was like yep the Canadian Paris team of uh, what's his fuck and what's his fuck. Anyway, they do that one lift where it looks like he's just eating her out. Yeah, because it just her crotch just <laughs> and goes she makes this face. expression. Yeah. So <laughs> the way that I'm going to connect this to video games is that I feel like that was like a like a international ARG in which people were trying to figure yep. out if they were sleeping with each other and yep. just pulling these different like there was a Tumblr dedicated of... to like gifts of them like touching each other casually and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like this in- international investigation of whether or not these two people were fucking. It was amazing. And it's I I feel like that's a really interesting game that I kind of like to play and even though I feel ashamed of it where it's like I look at interactions online between people and I, like, try to read between the lines of, like, oh, wait a minute, this person faved, like, 20 million of this person's yep. tweet. What is that? Are they dating? Did they fuck? Like, what, yep. is it, what does it mean? Yep. I'm really good at that game. <laughs> if you ever want to know who someone's dating, you should just come to me. It's like, I decipher this Twitter profile. Oh, absolutely. I mean... You know, you know what happened when I found out that Edgar Wright doesn't know that his likes are public? <laughs> Um, moving on. But yeah, I mean, I feel like what's missing from most non-porn video games when it comes to sex and attraction is this this kind of tension. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not just, I think Bioware games get it the closest mm-hmm. where there's always all this lead up to like the actual beginning of a relationship and then um, the actual the sex scene that you get, or at least in the more recent Bioware games mm-hmm. where you they realize that people get attracted to small interactions and then they like like a baby bird they just like fucking drip feed you (laughs) just like a little morsel of like a you know a sexy voice line or something Mm -hmm. like sometimes when you go into the war room with cullen um he'll breathlessly say i've been waiting for you to get here and it's just like so hot you make me want to replay this game (laughs) even though i know it's a hundred hours long yeah i Spent last weekend trying to crank out a whole bunch of character quests, and that was, like, literally my entire weekend. So I had to take a break from playing for a little bit. Um, But it's a fucking good game, and, like, that's the shit that makes it good, right? Is that exact shit. Is that you only hear that line sometimes. You could play that game entire game and never hear it, even if you've Mm -hmm. romanced Cullen. But when you do hear it, it's, like, the hottest thing you've ever heard. Can I tell you, this is really quick about a shameful moment that I had yes. in a game involving, like, a character that I could bone. Yes. Again, Divinity Original Sin 2. So I'm playing as a human, and again, there's Fane, who's a living skeleton. And we're on this boat, and then he event like, he's just suddenly... Because, like, most of the game is him just kind of being an ass because he's not alive. So he looks a lot of the drama that you're experiencing as, like, I don't have time for this human bullshit, like whatever this is like i live for thousands of years i'm not going to care about this it like you're just a speck in my in in my life or whatever yeah but then all of a sudden he just like flirts with you and he's like he asks you like wouldn't you sleep with me and i had this like dilemma of like okay i know we all like to joke on twitter.com about <laughs> fucking the the skeleton yeah but i just had this moment of like 
I I don't know how this would work. I, maybe I'm just the- not being creative <laughs> enough. I was like, I like, uh, and I was like, I also don't know what you would have to look like for me to consider you attractive as a pile of bones. And then, <laughs> but then, and then I was like, oh, buddy, I like, I don't know. I'm just because I've just started talking to you. And then he he was pretty much like, you're racist. And I was like, oh my, oh my god. god. And I was like, no. And then I felt so bad. But it was kind of true. But it, I just had this moment of like. It's not that I'm not attracted to you, but I also just don't know what attraction Listen, to a skeleton yeah. would mean. Yeah. So you didn't go to the bone bone zone. <laughs> no, I didn't. Not okay. yet anyway. I don't okay. know if that's completely closed off for me. And okay. I'm sure I think there are other skeletons in the future that I can meet and potentially sleep Eventually with. Eventually he'll learn it wasn't that you're racist. It's that you just weren't attracted to him. He, Like I said, he was an asshole to me that entire time. But like yeah. when he said it, I was like... I guess you're right because I th- part of the dilemma was like I don't know how this would physically work. I don't know what this means, yeah. and I also don't I'm know sure if I'm attracted to you. Yeah, <laughs> he's been around for a long time. That is such a dilemma. That is so. Video I'm games. like I don't know. Now I'm thinking about whether or not I would fuck a skeleton. I mean, like probably yes, <laughs> uh, if I had the opportunity. Would you fuck a ghost? Again, how, how I, I guess. If they, they can, can haunt if, something. Yeah, you know? I was about to say, they can probably... <laughs> they can haunt a dildo, you yeah. know? Like, it'd be fine. Yeah, I think I'd fuck a ghost. As I've written about Kotaku, I would if definitely not go a scary, to vampire. If they're not, like, a s- scary ghost that looks like they were just murdered or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they were, like, an enigmatic, like, you know, poetic vo- ghost, you know, <laughs> then I would, like, definitely be totally down and clown. Um, d- would absolutely have sex with a vampire. Werewolves, yeah, you wrote an entire piece I wrote an entire about piece about how I have sex with a vampire. Werewolves, probably also. But, like, werewolves are only werewolves, like, once a month. So it's, like, so, yeah, just so kind of So would you sleep with them when they're werewolves or when they're not werewolves? Listen, let me tell you a story. I what watched Beauty and the Beast recently. Uh-huh. And Dan Stevens is a beast in that movie. And he is – Dan Stevens is, like, so sexy, sexy on a level where it disarms me when I see his face. When, when Legion comes back, like, you're not going to be able to hear about anything else with this. Um <laughs> And Dan Stevens is the beast in that movie. And I was like, well, finally, the prince is going to be just as hot as the beast is. Mm -hmm. But no, Dan Stevens as the prince is like kind of not sexy. Dan Stevens as the beast, though, that's really hot. (laughs) I'm really into it. So So you're just saying that you're like, you would fuck any supernatural. Yeah, I think so. What is not on the table? I mean... I, I know that penetrative sex is not the end all be all of like having sex, but with a with a skeleton, how would I give like I'm sure I'd be able to receive like any kind of like well, thing that's of what sex. I was like, how I was would like, I give I like make you feel good if you're a skeleton? You yeah, don't have nerve endings anymore. Like, what? I don't. Yeah, I was just like trying, and I'm sure probably if you went through with it, he would explain. Yeah. Oh, but then the other thing you have to consider is that Fane can wear the skin of other people. And oh. I don't know if that skin becomes okay. alive or if it's, like, just, like, dead to the touch or something. Like, I don't That's, know the specifics okay. of that. That's interesting. That but then even that, that comes, that becomes fucked up because... That's a whole consent issue on top of that now. Well, no... Uh, you have to kill someone to take their face. So okay. it, it's so like that's another thing <laughs> you gotta worry about is like committing a murder in order to yeah, have sex. It's like, like imagine just being at the park, people watching. Like who do, who do we want to kill? <laughs> so, you, so we can. Pump. But like I don't want you to kill them in front of me because if I see anything, then I'm not gonna want to sleep with the person that I've just saw like a bunch of blood on on the floor. 
that was like screaming yeah. in front of me. So you, I you mean, go like, do that. Immediately post murder is not necessarily when I would want to have sex. It seems like it'd be a total buzzkill. Also, like, maybe just be exhausting, you know? Mm. Humans fight, you know? But you say that you would sleep with a vampire, and I feel like a lot of the erotic fiction with them is them, like, pretty much, like, murdering people in the middle well, of doing... my whole reasoning about wanting to sleep with a vampire is that I feel like I already have, like, the, the whininess of vampires is totally exemplified in, like, everyone that I was wanting to have <laughs> sex with when I was, like, 21 or 22. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you've ever met, like, a 21-year-old who's, like, a crust punk and, like, has strong opinions about anarchy and shit, you've probably slept with a vampire. Like, that. that is what a vampire is. Sleeping with a vampire? With more a likely of... than you think. <laughs> so he will suck all of the joy out of your life, um, <laughs> which is a little bit like sucking your blood. Jesus Christ. Uh, you know the kind of guy. Like, it's a really specific. He's got a bandana and, like, kind of a beard sometimes. And unprompted, he likes to give you all of his political opinions. And they're usually, like... Like, uh, you know, pretty woke, but, like, in a way where it sounds like he's putting you down for not being as woke as him. Hmm. Yeah, that kind of guy. And he wears all black, and he has, like, black Carhartt jeans that he's, like, sewn patches on with floss. <laughs> I love that you have this all figured out. Yeah. So before we move on to the other non-sexual topic, uh, listeners, uh Write to us and tell us, would you fuck a ghost? Would you fuck a skeleton? Would yes. you fuck a vampire? Would you I fuck need a werewolf? you to go through all of these. Ghost, skeleton, vampire, werewolf. Fishman? Fishman. Yes. What else? The answer to that is yes. Um, the beast from Beauty and the Beast. All right. Yeah. So I really need to know it's for science. <laughs> and we'll let, let you know the results uh, next week. Yes. So the other topic, uh, which is much less controversial, I suppose, is that we are both obsessed with Into the Breach, which is the new game by the makers of FTL. Yeah, that game fucking owns, man. So w- the one thing that immediately grabbed me where I was like, oh, no. You want to tell people okay. what it is? Well, yeah, it's this, the, the main fiction of the game is you are a mech pilot and you're trying to save the city from these bug creatures called Vex. And They're pretty much kaiju. It's yeah, like it's, mech versus kaiju. It's mech versus kaiju. Uh, Jason Schreier called it kaiju chess, and that's basically how it plays, where you have, it's a turn-based strategy where you're trying to block attacks from hitting buildings so your power grid doesn't go down and you don't lose a lot of civilians, um, and you only get a certain amount of moves per turn, and you can have one undo that you can use once Which I really time. appreciate. I've yeah. never, maybe it's just that I don't play enough tactics games, but I've never seen that and even just the fact that it lets you undo i feel like so yeah. there's so many games where i do something and i immediately regret it because yeah. i pressed the wrong button and this one is like no you, like you as just... soon as i like lock it in i know that i've done the wrong exact wrong thing and like <laughs> that's when you need the undo the most and mm-hmm. yeah you only get one to use for the entire game but it is so well, nice. you can you can undo a move if you haven't attacked but you can undo the entire turn once yeah. okay yeah. cool 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 that explains some things okay um, but what I really, really love about it is like it's basically a video game version of um, what's that movie with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt that was based off of that light novel, All You Need Is Kill. I'm oh, yeah. Uh, just, um, they rebranded it as Live, Die, Repeat, but it's something tomorrow. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm going to look it up but... on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> but in that movie, uh, Tom Cruise gains the power of being able to relive a day every time he dies. Mm-hmm. And 
it is like a really charming movie, especially if you like to see Tom Cruise die repeatedly. It's it's a video game ass movie. It's a basically. video game ass movie. Because like you know, in a game when you're playing it, you don't necessarily know how to go through it, and you kind of die, and then you learn again, and yeah. you go through the same and yeah. that same thing. And you happens watch with him. that process of sort of Tom Cruise making mistakes and learning from them in the very video gamey way. It's called Edge of Tomorrow. There we go. Yeah, is there a sequel? Movie. I don't mm-hmm. know. I love there Emily in that, but... She's sorry. so good in that. Um, anyway, she looked great at the Oscars last night. Um, but yeah, it's it reminds me so much of Edge of Tomorrow, and that whole aesthetic immediately sucked me in. Because when you lose, um, when the power grid is totally gone out, so the power grid, it doesn't recharge after it's, the end it's of battles. It's basically like your HP bar, right? Yeah, and it's for... You have an island that you're trying to secure every section of the island for, and uh, the power grid is the HP bar for that entire island. So mm-hmm. it won't... The more buildings to, that are destroyed, the m- less power you have. And when you reach zero, like, that's and it. you don't you, have a ton of power. Mm-hmm. Like, the most you, you see on the islands I've been to has been, like, sometimes it's, like, five bars. Sometimes it's, like, eight. But basically, if a building gets hit, you should be not having that happen. Yeah. That should just not be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like... It, when you lose, though, when the power totally goes out, you you go into the breach, quote mm-hmm. unquote, uh, to go to another timeline where you could possibly save everybody from the yes. fact. So there's like time travel in this. You can only take one pilot to to the other timelines, but when you do, everything resets. Mm-hmm. So say you fucked up in the first island, then you kind of have to redo it, but you get to keep whatever power-ups this character had. So there's this kind of the sense of like, Repetition. I guess this is kind of where the the roguelike elements come in because mm-hmm. you like lose basically all of your progress, but your character retains some of the some of the stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting mechanic, but it's also painful when you like level up an entire team and then you have to pick the one person who yep. gets to survive. It sucks. That part sucks. Um, I am so attached to the original three pilots you get to that it's like hard to. It's hard to choose between them. I like I like them, but the three of them so much mm-hmm. that if I don't go back, like Cameron wrote about this, and we Cameron, our new weekend editor, wrote about how he much he likes the original three teams so much, and you're supposed to kind of abandon them after a while mm-hmm. when you get once you get new pilots. But I like that starter guy. Mm-hmm. I like all his voice lines. Well, not voice lines, but I like his little text. You know, I got lines. rid of him pretty quick. Really, <laughs> I like him. Uh, I'm not saying that I disliked him. I just got a character that was like overpowered next oh, okay. to him that's nice. all nice. um but yeah i did reach that point so i i beat the game like on my third or fourth try and then i had all these unlocks because i went through each island and so i've been trying all the new mechs and like they're really complex in ways that actually make the game harder i'm sure if you spend the time learning how they move because like for example there's one that uh, you can kind of like shoot a bomb and if you shoot it uh, at a building, it won't harm the building, but it'll, like, damage everything around it by pushing it once. And so, like, that's useful, but you can also fuck yourself up because it'll damage uh, a building next to it. So it's, like, oh. you have to be careful, and I keep fucking that up. But it's a, it's a lot of stuff like that. Or you'll have uh, mechs that can freeze everything on the board and, like... That becomes complex because sometimes the extra challenges are kill X number of enemies, but if you're freezing them, then it becomes a little bit harder to kill them because you have to hit them twice. So it's just like it 
it makes the game more interesting, but also more complex in like ways that I, if maybe I were a better player, I'd be able to deal with, with ease. But it's, I kind of prefer staying with the simpler mechs where I'd like know exactly how it works and yeah. I don't have to like overthink I the moves. I saw on Twitter someone um, showed me the nickname or just tweeted out the nicknames he had given those original three mechs and it was Punchy, Shooty, Far Shooty. <laughs> Like, That's really good. Yeah, because it took me a while to adjust to how those three characters, how they affect things on the board. As soon as you add a, a new element, it, everything, everything is changes. different. Everything yeah. is different, and you have to like rework your strategy. I almost kind of wish, and I know I can kind of understand why they didn't do it. That you start off with a like different array of mechs that are like complex, and you're like constantly getting different ones because it's so easy to just kind of get in that routine of like not wanting to change it. So like now I'm at the stage where it's like. I appreciate this game, but I don't know that I want to replay it with mechs that kind of make things a little bit more difficult. But the other thing that I wanted to mention that's, I think, really notable about this game is that when you start it out, it's really difficult. Like, I kept dying on the first yeah. mission at first. Yeah. But somehow, and I don't know how they do it. Uh, there's what, What's their name? Subset Games? Subset Games, yeah. Yeah. They managed to make... Failure really fun. And this was the thing with FTL. Like, when you played it, you knew that eventually everything would go to shit. Your entire ship would just be on fire. You would lose everything. Like, that was just a given while playing that game. But there was still, like, this draw to it. Like, it was still so incredibly fun. There was something about FTL. FTL really grabbed me. I I mean, I was, like, in the midst of a very bad, depressive episode when I got FTL. And it was one of the few games that would run on my 2008 MacBook, which at the time was not as much of a burden as it is on my life now. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it was... So easy to restart things after you'd failed that it made it easy to incentivize. You know, it made it easy to think, okay, well, just got to start back from the beginning. And now I can see exactly what I did wrong here. I will be prepared for this next time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Into the Breach has the same kind of quality where restarting, it just restarts for you. Mm-hmm. So you don't even have to worry about going back to the start screen or abandoning mm-hmm. your ship. You just immediately go back there. And then you also sort of know... You, the 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 goals of the game are so easy to understand. Don't let the buildings get hit. You understand better just sort of like, okay, so that, you know, if I'm, fr- if I'm stuck in front of a building, here's now a new strategy I have or here, I'm going to try something new for the next time that that happens because I know now that that is going to be something that affects me. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think it's better that in the beginning you get you eat shit so much so frequently because you are learning those lessons so quickly. Right. Like it's not it's not as painful to lose on the first map because it, when you restart, like yeah, you've only not... been there for like a minute or two basically, yeah. and that is you know it might be frustrating in that why am I not better at this. But then you get better so quickly mm-hmm. and that is – and you you see the results of your learning so quickly also mm-hmm. because they give you all that information on the screen all the time about how well you're doing and that really makes a difference also. That's something I also really liked about FTL. It's why these games don't like screenshot well. We were having <laughs> this problem in the office trying to figure out what to use as top images for posts about FTL or um, 
into the breach. Mm-hmm. And because they give you basically everything you need to know on the screen at all times, it looks, you know, the, there's I think a lot the, going there's on. There's just a lot going on. I think the pixel art looks really, really good, mm-hmm. but you kind of have to zoom in on it really like close crops to get the parts that look great because on the sides is like. Too much UI. Too I mean, much for UI. screenshots purposes. Yeah. In game, it's perfectly fine. In game, like, I love having the portraits on the side and I. The power bar up at the top, it like makes you feel like you're inside of one of those mechs, oh, like you're in the I control booth. I thought about that, yeah. That's, I mean, that's just how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I see it. Yeah. It's just when you're trying to do something for an internet website, it's difficult to be like, well, do we excise all the UI to get this good screenshot, which maybe people who haven't read the game are just not going to understand, or mm-hmm. do we find some key art and there's only one piece of key art? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good game. It's such a good game. I uh, Although this conversation makes me want to go back and replay FTL because there was a re-release that had like a bunch of new yeah, scenarios Chris and Chris Avalone, stuff. who also wrote for Into the Breach, mm-hmm. he wrote uh, And also wrote for Divinity. Uh, he wrote the character that I keep having dilemmas about Fane, the skeleton. <laughs> I guess Chris Avalone has just written all the good games, I yeah, guess. Yeah, you know, Chris Avalone, I, I went down a little bit of a hole. I was watching the there's a video SAS who has like a decently sized YouTube channel, uh, Noah Gervais. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a series where he does these very in-depth videos on a bunch of those classic RPGs. Uh, some of which I haven't played because they were just like before my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has a great one on the original Fallout. Original, you know, it's not just the original Fallout. He goes through all five of the, the then five of the Fallout games, which is like a whole lot of talking about Fallout. Mm-hmm. But you can really see, he does that and Baldur's Gate and like, um, man, what was the game I was thinking that I really wanted to play? Planescape Torment. I, that is on my to playlist. That's... Perpetually on my to playlist. Because the ideas that are in it, when talking to my ex who uh, was really into Planescape Torment and the original two Fallout games and Chris Avalon's writing in general, um, the ideas that it is, the th- the themes of the game just sound so interesting. Mm-hmm. Just like the idea, like the overarching question of what can change a man, you know, whatever. This is probably an entire podcast onto itself, but something that I never really understood is that like... You get all these discussions about like how visual novels aren't really games, but you look at those older CRPGs and the things that people talk about the most are the dialogue yeah, choices. Like for the it's most like a, part, there's just so much reading. I know like most of my friends who played the original Dragon Age, Dragon Age Origins, they've told me, you know what? You should just get the, you know, kill everything in one click mod because the <laughs> combat in those games is not worth it. It's the conversations I that like are worth the it. combat in those games. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, I like the comment in those games, too. But also, I think they understand that not everyone plays it for the combat because the, the more modern Dragon Age, I think, has, like, a, a story there mode is, or something. Yeah, it's not quite a story mode. Um, the easy mode just makes it, you just, you yeah, just press the attack button, basically. Yeah. That's the way I'm playing this time because I just, like, I want to do some of the fighting because I do like, you know, tinting armor and stuff like that. But I'm mostly playing for the narrative this time around because I've already played the game once. Yeah, and I guess it's probably easier the second time around because you know not to spend a ton of time in the hinterlands. Yes, it is so nice to know that you can leave the hinterlands. <laughs> if you are ne- if you have not yet played Dragon Age Inquisition, you can leave the hinterlands at any time. Just so you Please know. Please do so. Please don't get trapped there. Um, go back to Haven and hang out with everybody at Haven and then un- unlock a new area. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I want to go back and play Planescape Torment, mostly for the writing. Like, I 
I've heard there's cool things in the game mechanics as well, like the idea that you're like plucking out your eyeballs and putting new eyeballs in to get new skills. That sounds really dark and weird and cool. Um, but it's mostly like I want to read that that game. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like a novel. I want to read that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't hear that. You hear that for like writers like Patrick Weeks and like, you know, uh, Guider, David Guider is another one and Chris Avalone. Uh, and I think that is part of why those games are so, so classic. If you look at like classic RPGs, mechanically, I, I don't, you know, it's like D&D. Like they basically are just video game version of D&D and I can mm-hmm. play D&D at literally any time. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what makes them so lasting is that they have such good writing. Mm-hmm. Like, as- astonishingly good writing in end times. Like, I think their writing in the original Fallout is really, really, like, nuanced and yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I replayed it recently, and, like, the combat is kind of shitty. Like, it hasn't fully, like, there's a lot, just a lot of bullshit mm-hmm. in it. But uh, the writing just, even I feel like it's more the overall, like, tone of it. It's just yeah. very stark, and I feel like... Newer fallouts are like more about like zany shit, but this one was like it's the post apocalypse. Everyone's terrified. No one really understands how this happened. We've heard about like mutants and stuff, but like we haven't really seen them. They're like more of a rumor, and it's just like it's just stark. Yeah, which I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like it's this old, and the post apocalypse is in so many things, but this manages to kind of nail a different. Part, part of it, I think, that you don't often see. Yeah. And I think, um, well, I mean, the strength of the writing created a franchise that has lasted for an extremely long time and one that has crossed over, it's sort of in, in appeal, has crossed over into the mainstream. Like the, the sort of specific Fallout world was so fascinating that you sort of see elements of it crop up outside of just video game culture. If there's games, there's like a couple of games that people who don't necessarily identify themselves as gamers will play or have heard of, and one of them is Fallout. Mm-hmm. Like, it just made such a strong impact because of the strength of its world building and its writing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, lots of people love Skyrim too, but they don't love it because of the Elder, like, the Elder Scrolls world. The writing. Yeah, yeah they yeah. love it because you can fucking do anything and you punch a dragon and shit, you know? Mm-hmm. People love Fallout because they think Nuka-Cola is cool and they want a Pip-Boy, you know? Like, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is really fascinating to me and it all started with that one game, which had some kind of weird bullshitty combat, but, like, really, really good writing and a really good plot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can see that in Into the Breach a little bit, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of surprising that because a, a lot of tactics games like that, you don't remember them for the writing. You mostly remember them mm-hmm. for the tactics, the yeah. combat and whatever. But like this one, you the writing is really sparse. Like it's not like you're going to be sitting there like clicking through a ton of dialogue. Like at most characters will say like one line after yeah. like combat or when they do something specific or like when they're you very, just get to an when you first get to an island and they introduce themselves they're very finely tuned sentences especially when your comrades die the they the lines are always the one thing they'll say that will make you feel the worst about it which is like that's a real you know that I'm doing the chef kiss thing with my fingers right now it's a spicy meatball that's really good um yeah, read. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the breach, it's a good video game. Basically, you should play it. You should play it. Please hit us up with One of the best games of 2018. Your... Man, it's so good. Good luck not playing that game literally all of the time. <laughs> um, that's it for us this week. 
you should let's me like go into the whole spiel. Hang on. That's it for us this week. Uh, if you liked this episode, you should leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are found. Basically, you can find us and leave us a review. We really appreciate them and we read all of them and uh, I think they're really nice. Uh, you can also, if you want to get in touch with us, you should email us at favethis at kotaku.com or tweet at either of us um, with the hashtag favethis. We are... Both, you can find both of our work on Kotaku.com because that is where we both work. We want to give a special shout out, special thanks to Executive Director of Audio, Mondana Mofidi, as well as Levi Sharp, who was in the booth helping us get set up. Um, we also want to thank Mellow Makes, who did our theme song, and Stuart Wood, who did the music that we played during the commercials. Uh, yeah, that's it for us this week. Thank you for listening. Come back next week. Goodbye. <laughs>